Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. We gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and the Word made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ, who shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome him. The light shines on us today as we conclude the first chapter of Galatians. Paul is astonished. He has that tone in this epistle more than any other epistle he writes that the churches in Galatia, more than one church, were abandoning Christ for a different gospel. Not that there is a different gospel, but they were going for different ideologies that were apart from the gospel. And today, in today's verses, he proves that what the gospel comes from God and that he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. As always, we have lots of grace, lots of light, and lots of Jesus. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. A special thanks to Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. For all those who are interested, visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us to be strengthened in Christ by his word, we have with us Pastor Philip Hoppe of Peace Lutheran Church in Finlandson, Minnesota, and St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bruno, Minnesota. Pastor Hoppe, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Hey, very glad to be with you today and to discuss God's word with you and with all of our uh, listeners today. Pastor Hoppe, I believe, is this your first time on Thy Strong Word? It is, yeah. I've been on other shows on KFUO, but uh, first time on Thy Strong Word. All right, so let's do this. We have found that since I've been here, almost just under a month, that we have new people all the time listening. I'm still relatively new, and so could you introduce yourself a little bit and also the work of the saints at Peace and St. Paul's? Sure, absolutely. I've been uh, a pastor now for uh, coming up on 17 years uh, and served in Kansas uh, for the first 12 years and then uh, took a call up here to Minnesota uh, to serve a dual congregation up here and uh, have enjoyed our time here. The two congregations have worked together for a, a long time, so long that, you know, most people when you ask, when did this start, they don't really know. They just know it's always kind of been that way. Um, but um, <laughs> kind of on uh, opposite uh, sides of the interstate as it goes from the cities uh, to Duluth, uh, one on the east side and one on the west side, uh, and just trying to, uh, again, uh, feed those who have been found, and also reach out to those who do not yet know the gospel. I also, you know, should, some, I guess I, oh, I'm sorry, I stepped on your toes. I also should say that on a personal standpoint, um, I'm married to my wife, Jamie, and we have seven children, so it keeps us busy nice. as well. Absolutely. Yeah, and what a joy. Uh, about, uh, what was it, a month ago, maybe six weeks ago, Pastor Hoppy and his beloved family joined our church. And you took up a whole pew, so thank you for that. I made everybody <laughs> try to bump <laughs> and you didn't have to distance. Numbers. We did, and thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know something is interesting. I had two thoughts as you said what you said is, first of all, in Kansas, were you a Jayhawk or Wildcat? Fan. Well, I actually grew up in Oklahoma, so I'm actually a Sooner fan, so I, I really <laughs> fought against either. both. So in football season against the Wildcats and in ba basketball season against the Jayhawks, that was the main thing. Ah, oh, very good. And then the second thing is, for those who are not from Minnesota, is that you have a dynamic where Highway 35 determines a lot of things. 35W goes through the Twin Cities. Is 
where you are, because you're on the west side of 35, you have two churches, one on the west and one on the east. Is this kind of right. like, you know, the wrong side of the tracks kind of mentality, <laughs> or how would you describe that? Well, I've never I've never got that sense uh, that there's a you know grand <laughs> rivalry between the two sides, but you know it could be something I you know I've only been here six years, so maybe they haven't let me in yet on that, you know. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably true. That's probably true. Maybe that's after year twelve they'll tell yeah. you. So, anyways, <laughs> so Pastor Hoppy, as we're looking at Galatians, I want to start this way. Yesterday we had Dr. Andrew Doss on, and he is the author of the Concordia Commentary on Galatians, and we were very blessed with his time, his wisdom, and, but what, what struck me, there's no but in there, excuse me, what struck me about our time is he is the expert, he even said he has 36 pages of references that he used in his commentary, and it took him seven years to write this commentary, and he probably has worked on it, worked on Galatians specifically as a Greek scholar for over 20 years, and zeroing in on literally only six chapters of a letter, and what was very really interesting to me about this is that he still spent quite a bit of time studying for our hour yesterday. It was quite humbling that he's like, okay, I got to go study now. Um, I have to look at this and look at this. And it shows me something that I wanted to get your thoughts on a little bit, is that if he has to study that much, that um, we all have something to learn. That if we try to say, well, I can't compete with that. Well, I mean, well, that's not the point. The point is not to um, compete with the doctor who does this as his profession. Um, it showed me a little bit that maybe we all just need to see this as a lifelong mission, that we need to relax, enjoy the text, not think we have to have all the answers. And because even Dr. Doss doesn't have all the answers. And for us to ask questions. Any, any thoughts on that, Pastor? Because it, be, it can be a little bit overwhelming. You hear the good doctor speak, um, and, and he gives us so many gems. But at the same time, that's not all of us. So any thoughts on that as we look at Galatians? Yeah, certainly. I think I think you're exactly right that we we can be uh, frightened away. Yeah, even when you know I found out that I was going to be in the episode after him. You know, it's a little <laughs> humbling because I I don't have 36 pages of references. I apologize. You know, <laughs> uh, but anyways, you know when you when you think of that, it can be humbling and it can almost lead to an apathy about it. Right to kind of say, well. You know, I only know what I know or whatever. Uh, and again, I wonder sometimes lay people kind of, you know, have that approach too. They hear their pastor speak. And while their pastor may think they don't equal up to the guy that's writing the commentary to the lay people, the pastor might seem like, right, he has all this insight and knowledge, original languages, things like that, that, that they don't have access to. And I wonder if sometimes too, it's kind of a discouragement to them then to just pick up the text and read and, uh, you know, let scripture and interpret scripture, follow some of the, the threads that you find in one passage to another place in scripture. And I think you're, you're exactly right that we have to just do it, right? We have to just get into it, enjoy what we do know, uh, enjoy the, the revelation that God is giving to us there, uh, and then work our way into, you know, a better knowledge of how all this works together and, you know, gaining new uh, insights, right? It's not going from necessarily being right to wrong. Uh, it's more just gaining a, a better and more full understanding of, of the things that are covered in these books. All right. So with that, you know, and, and you and I have talked about this numerous times, is the reality is, where do we see Jesus here? And how does it point us to Christ? And, and, and that's why my encouragement today for you, our listeners, 
is to slow down, reflect, pray, and ponder the text, and the Holy Spirit will guide our time today. So, Pastor, on that note, can you ask for the Lord's blessings this morning for our time in God's Word and prayer for us? I would be happy to. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, we do come to you on this day. We thank you for the Word, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your written Word. Uh, we thank you that that Word reveals to us the incarnate Word, Christ. And we thank you in particular today uh, for giving us this letter uh, that Paul wrote uh, to Galatia, uh, that we might be strengthened in our belief that there is only one gospel and that that gospel is indeed the comfort that our consciences uh, need so desperately when we recognize our sins. We pray that you would bless now our discussion in Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, today as we are looking into this text, there's a lot of context before we get to these verses, even those only 10 verses we went through yesterday. And I wanted to say a few things, and I want you to, to piggyback or maybe even correct me, who knows. Um, but one of the things that we talked about yesterday was Paul's focus on God. This is God's work. He's an apostle, not of men, but of Jesus Christ. And this Jesus was risen from the dead, gave himself up, um, and to him be all the glory. And he ends in verse 10. I would encourage our listeners to look at the verse before we're looking at today. For I am now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I could not be a servant of Christ. So the question is, who are we serving? Who is this all about? And obviously it's about the Lord. So pastor, what introductory things do you want to talk about background? I mean, that's what I have. I want you to either, you know, piggyback or move us in a different direction. What, any background things you want to share? No, I think absolutely what you're leading us to is proper that ultimately, um, almost in every way, right, Paul is going to direct our eyes to Jesus. I mean, obviously, overall, to the kind of specific gospel message of what Christ has come to do for us, what he has accomplished for us. Uh, but even in smaller ways, right, like when he talks about um, exactly how he received uh, his uh, revelation of what Jesus had done, right? There's a, there's a much more direct connection there to Jesus than there would be in uh, some other uh, accounts. And so I think in every way, um, this is what Paul understands about his own life, right, is that the key to changing his life in very substantial ways, as we'll talk about today, um, was Jesus, right? It was coming into contact with Jesus. There was nothing else, right? And so, I mean, in one sense, it only makes sense that everything's about Jesus because this is his life. This has now become his, you know, the, the autobiography, if he's writing, of his life has now been changed by this encounter with Jesus. And so he just kind of keeps us, you know, Jesus came to him and now he's bringing Jesus to us. This is a great quote from a movie. Jim Carrey's in it. I can't remember the name of it right offhand, but there's this moment where this gal um, says, you know, five years ago when I got over drugs and she stopped and said, thank you, Jesus. And then it moved on. And that's kind of reminded me of what you're saying there is what changes us is not us, but Jesus. I mean, even, yeah. even though it's kind of a little hokey, but it is, it is a reminder that it, it actually is a good statement for us to say when we move forward from maybe sins and we move forward, well, let's be honest, every single day. Thank you, Jesus, yep. for what you've done. Any other thoughts? Oh, uh, 
No, I, I don't think so, other than just, you know, that we're just going to continue some of the general thoughts about, you know, where we, uh, I know Dr. Doss yesterday talked about, you know, how other cultures and things would talk about multiple gospels, right, in the plural, yeah. uh, but that we're saying, right, uh, and Paul's saying there's there's one gospel. Um, and so it's going to be kind of interesting as, as Paul here in one way tries to make a distinction about himself and how he came about knowing that gospel, and yet at the same time, surprisingly saying, and yet it's the same gospel that the apostles had. And that's important because there is only one, right? So even if you receive it differently, and even like today we could say this, right? One person might receive it in a different language uh, in a different country, and we might receive it here, and we may not have any, you know, knowledge of each other, and yet what we're both believing is the same gospel because there's only one. So I think that'll kind of be important as we go forward oh, to yeah. talk, you know, both about how his his path to it is different, <laughs> but it's the same gospel. My goodness, that is that is very profound. Thank you, Pastor, for sharing that. And so as we look at today, a reminder to our listeners, that if you have any questions that you want to ask, we encourage you to bring up those questions. Drop us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. We're going to begin today with verses 11 and 12. And a reminder to our listeners, we are reading from the English Standard Version. Paul writes, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I think, I think it's important for us to really focus in on these verses because it really lays the groundwork for the rest of our verses. First of all, I want to highlight this and I want your thoughts. But I would have, I, I would, would have, I would have you know, excuse me, brothers, is Dr. Doss talked about yesterday that Galatians and all these different churches, it really was a family feel, you know, that you are part of a new family. Um, you're part of the peace family, the St. Paul's family, the Messiah family, that this is something where, where God has brought us together, even though maybe we receive the gospel differently. The one gospel is not more than one. That when he uses these words like brothers, is that he's focusing in that we're all together in this gospel of Christ who has died for you. That's my first thought. Other thoughts and directions you want to go with these first two verses? Well, yeah, and just to follow up a little bit on that, this is the first time in Galatians, I mean, we're not very far into it, but where he addresses them as brothers, right? And uh, so yeah. um, we yesterday, you know, uh, it was spoken of a little bit that, you know, the, the, the harshness of, of tone, right, that, that there's very much a rebuke going on here. Uh, and yet it kind of struck me here, too, with the start of 11, when he just throws in that brothers, there's a, uh, you know, th there is an intentional way of saying, guys, we are, right, one family. And I'm speaking to you in this mm -hmm. harsh tone, not as an outsider, right, uh, but we're, we are one in this, um, you know, gospel that we're talking about. And so, you know, I think there's a, a touch. I mean, he's still going to, you know, sort of be making a, a case for uh, particularly how they should think about him, perhaps. And, and ultimately, he cares about that because of how they think about Christ, right? But but it does seem to be here that he's kind of using this word brothers as a way to sort of draw them in a little bit, a little word of affection uh, as he begins his teaching here. Um, go ahead. No, with that is, is eight, eight times in this book, 
he refers to them as brothers, or you could translate also as brothers and sisters. It's an all-inclusive term. But yet, eight times, and what's ironic, and we talked about this yesterday too, or what's kind of crazy about it, is that he doesn't have a section where he thanks God for them. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, every other Absolutely. one he does. And here he doesn't. I'm astonished, you know, to say, oh my gosh, he just attacks us. And uh, But here, he does it throughout as opposed to one little section at the beginning and then lambasts them. No, he lambasts them and then throughout reminds them of our identity as together in Christ. So eight times it happens, at least in the reference I'm looking at here in the commentary, eight times it happens throughout this uh, epistle. So it, it hits point in what you exactly were saying. Other direction yeah. you want to go here in these words? Yeah, I think, well, one is just to kind of get a sense of, you know, what were these people, it seems, charging Paul with, right? And, and uh, you know, as I studied this again, the charge is even a little bit harsher, Justin. You know, I mean, we hear Paul, and from our perspective, we hear him accusing these other people of clinging to another gospel, right? But in one sense, that's exactly the charge that is being made against Paul, right? That they're saying, no, Paul has come up with his own thing. And kind of the second, you know, really troubling part about that, at least in their charge, is that they're saying, and he didn't do this out of ignorance. They're, they're going to make the claim that he is connected with the apostles in Jerusalem. He knows them. He heard from them. He perhaps learned the gospel from them, uh, then came back and preached something other, right? And so this is the kind of charge that Paul is now answering. He's saying, he's really going to say neither of those things are true, right? I didn't learn it from the apostles, and this is not another gospel. This is the gospel. And, but it's really important here to, to say that, right, that right up from the front, he's responding to these kind of charges. And then his response is ultimately to say, right, how do I know this is true. How can I prove this is true? Well, one, I didn't get it from the apostles because I got it from Jesus. And secondly, how do I know it's the gospel? Same answer. I got it from Jesus, right? Uh, and when you put those two together, right, here's the claim he's making in these first couple verses that we're looking at today. He, he makes this claim that since he got it from Jesus, it must be true and it must be the only gospel. And that's a, a wonderful insight because the same things that we deal with today where people will say, oh, the Bible is not true because it's a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy kind of mentality. And at the same time, you know, like we consider it like a telephone game, you know, you go around the circle and you say one thing, you know, egg. And right. by the end, it's a chicken, you know, um, that kind of thing is he, he isn't doing that as if he's trying to uh, prove the inerrancy of scripture or something but but basically they're probably saying yeah you just learned some of the disciples and then you moved on and this whole section is improving no actually you know what they didn't want anything to do with me actually and so here this came straight from jesus as we learn throughout the scriptures so he's not only proving what the gospel is but he's proving by separating himself from the apostles in one sense is that is that am i in the right direction there yeah, absolutely. And like I said, and we kind of come back to this later, he's going to separate himself from the apostles, and yet in the end say that their gospel, right? He's not going to end up saying the apostles 
have it wrong. No, uh, right. even though I received it directly from Jesus in in this sense of this revelation that we'll talk about here soon, uh, but in the apostles received it by you know largely walking and talking with Jesus during his life and then experiencing the events of of Holy Week and and uh, you know the resurrection, the ascension, all these kind of things. That because Jesus is ultimately the one that gave it to us both, right, we have the same gospel, the only gospel. And that's, you know, quite striking because usually if you're separating yourself from someone, you're also going to say, and we're saying different things. But he's really saying, nope, I'm not, I didn't get it from them. And yet in the end, he's going to say, but it's the same thing as them. This is wonderful. For our listeners, I would encourage you to go look at verse 1, verse 1 where it says, Paul, an apostle. And and this is profound in what Pastor Hoppy is saying, is because we know that there's the apostles, which we would consider to be the 12, or, uh, you know, the, um, uh, the, the 12 apostles. And you can call them disciples, but apostles. And Paul's calling himself an apostle, but he's not saying I'm an apostle because I'm with those guys, because I am an apostle of Jesus Christ, not of man, Jesus Christ, and God the Father. At the same time, and you, this is so, actually, I didn't catch this in the text, uh, Pastor Hoppy, is that what you're saying and what the scripture tells us is that he is not saying, by the way, they're not apostles. That's what we tend to do. It, and right. sometimes we do this as churches too. Well, we have the gospel, by the way, they don't, <laughs> that church over there. Um, but he's saying, this is my authority. This is where I'm standing. And at the same time, the apostles are standing on that same thing. I mean, the apostles wouldn't say, well, we're standing here because we're part of the 12. They would say, no, right. we're an apostle of Jesus Christ. But he's making sure that they have the distinction that me and them are focused on the gospel and Jesus. Um, I, I, not to say I didn't see that at all, but that's just a, another, considering we interpret scripture that we're looking at like a diamond. You have that little turn and all of a sudden you have a different perspective and you're able to see it from that direction. So thank you for that. Um, look and kind of that revelation understanding what does he mean that he received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ what is he talking about yeah and we should say here that I mean part of the answer to that question is we don't know exactly what we do know of course is <laughs> Paul's conversion right account on the road to Damascus the uh, big bright light uh, Jesus confronting uh, Paul uh, and then sending him to Ananias's house and he gets baptized there all of that we know that story and hopefully our you know, hearers know that story well, too. Uh, but he seems to be suggesting here that not only did he have sort of this one singular experience, but that Jesus, in some manner, rather directly, imparted to him what he needed to know to teach as well. Now, where did that happen, or how did that happen? Well, we're never told exactly, and so we want to be careful to say that, right, that in some sense we're speculating. I mean, perhaps uh, it could have been after that event and on the road uh, to Ananias's, uh, you know, house eventually there. Uh, it could have been there that, that Jesus is giving him these words. Um, the other probably big possibility is that uh, we're told that, you know, right away after this occurs, he says he went away for three years uh, into Arabia. Um, hmm. And, you know, we're not really told exactly anywhere else in Scripture what was going on in those three years. So is it possible that in some way, and again, who knows exactly how this looked, but that Jesus is instructing him during that time? If that's accurate, 
think about this, right, that Sinai is in Arabia also. Now, we're not necessarily saying there, you know, he's right at Mount Sinai, but he's in this general region uh, where Sinai was also, uh, where, where it's located, where the law was given. And wouldn't this be something, right, if in Paul's life and mind, a man who we're going to talk about, who was trained in the law, he now goes into the very wilderness where you would have thought as a Jew, we're in the area of Sinai, the law is given. And now instead, Jesus is revealing to him the gospel. And what a powerful thing that would have been to teach him how the gospel supersedes uh, even the law, right? That this is the new covenant uh, and that the old covenant then, right, uh, begins to fade away and pass away. This is great. I want to speak more about this because the question is, where did he get these direct revelations? And for everyone who was involved, if you want to look again at Exodus and Mount Sinai, this is a great time to be able to look into that as pastors told us. But we have to take a break right now. We'll jump right back to this. We are studying Galatians chapter one with Pastor Phil Hoppy. We will be right back. Mission Field isn't just overseas anymore. It's right here in your own backyard. If English isn't the first language of your neighbor or friend, and you'd like to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them in their own language, contact the Lutheran Heritage Foundation at lhfmissions.org. LHF has translated and published the small catechism, children's Bible stories, hymnals, and devotions into 85 different languages and gives them free of charge to those who need them. lhfmissions.org. Jesus miraculously fed 5,000 with only five loaves and two fish. At another time, he fed 4,000. Sounds like the same story, but an important detail reveals Jesus' compassion for all people, regardless of their differences. Dr. Michael Ziegler shares a story about people who had more in common than they thought, this week on The Lutheran Hour. Sundays at 12.30 and 5 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO. Jesse Norman and a great many other singers as well are on hand to tell the world on the next Sing for Joy. Listen and be refreshed. Sundays at noon on KFUO, the messenger of good news. And welcome back. We are studying Galatians chapter one with Pastor Philip Hoppy of Finlandson and Bruno, Minnesota. As we are talking, we are talking specifically about Paul saying where he would be going, where he had been, what has all been happening. And he says, I've received a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, Pastor Hoppy, you said this so well. We don't specifically know, but there might be a few moments where we hear of where it might have happened, specifically in First and Second Corinthians. Any things you want to highlight there before we move on? I think just, you know, when we look at First and Second Corinthians, 
Um, you know, we get these interesting phrases throughout where uh, we get these phrases where it'll say, Paul will say, what I received from the Lord and what I also received. And as I was studying for this again, and I guess I'd ask kind of the those that are listening in, when we hear those things, do we generally think of the fact that Jesus is giving these things to Paul in some sort of direct way, that Paul, right, did not receive them in the same manner uh, as the apostles, and he did not receive them from the apostles. And so it's just kind of intriguing to me, again, to reread those passages and say, well, whenever or wherever this exactly happened, these are the kind of things that Jesus passed along to him. For instance, right, in 1 Corinthians 11, the very words of institution, right, Paul receives from the Lord himself. Here's what I said, Paul, on that night, right? Uh, Paul was not there. Um, and so, you know, it's just really intriguing to think a little bit about how that happened and ultimately just to rejoice uh, that it did happen and that we have these words of Jesus given to Paul and now delivered to us. That is fascinating. I'm also thinking, because we just went through Second Corinthians, and, you know, when, when Paul is speaking about the revelations of the Lord, chapter 12, you know, third heaven language, and then he speaks about the thorn in the flesh. And that's where God, Jesus came to him and said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. It, yeah, it's an interesting dynamic of, right, right. Yeah, there he is. And, and clearly we don't want to run down that rabbit hole too quickly because maybe God comes to you. Uh, maybe he has come to you. The question is, is this? for the glory of man or the glory of God. And that's always a question we have to bring, but you know, what exactly happened? We don't know, but we do know that he did reveal it to him. Um, and, and that's why he knows that this is God's gospel, not his own, that his apostleship is based on Jesus, not on himself. Always good for us to remember as well. Let's move on to verses 13 to 14. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. What is he talking about his old life? What does his old life look like, Pastor? Yeah, well, I mean, we know, you know, from other places in the scripture and here as well, you know, that Paul was, you know, sort of a Pharisee of the Pharisees, right? I mean, uh, and uh, probably because likely he was trained, right, by this Gamaliel, or I shouldn't say likely, he was trained by Gamaliel. Uh, the scriptures tell us that. But in this sense of who was Gamaliel, well, he was the grandson of Hillel, who, again, not to get too much into the weeds, but Hillel was kind of one of the most famous rabbis there's ever been in Judaism, right? And, and Gamaliel then, uh, people, you know, argue over his exact position, but no one argues that he was not supremely important uh, in this, you know, kind of first century Judaism here. Uh, and so Paul has this great teacher from the Pharisees, and he's a great student. And so he's, you know, as he says, are advancing beyond many of his own age uh, and extremely zealous, right? He puts, puts everything into this, uh, being a Pharisee and particularly then, right, guarding, uh, as he understood it, the law of God. Uh, and the whole message of the faith. He he does use the word Judaism here, right, to probably in some way distinguish a little bit from just saying, 
you know, old covenant Israelite religion, right? He is he really wants to talk here about sort of the culture among the Jews in the current day and he kind of, you know, distinguishes that. I mean sometimes, you know, you'll hear people talk about, you know, perhaps the difference between what Lutheranism is in our day, right, and what is sort of Lutheran doctrine or true Lutheranism. And or, you know, there I use the ism again, but you know what, people kind of make this distinction that there are certain things that are sort of just culturally Lutheran, right? Maybe a you know, a Ludafisk dinner or something, right? Is this for some Lutherans, right? Is yeah, is something yeah. that's kind of culturally there, but what's it really about? And I think he's he's trying to make this distinction a little bit here, saying when he uses Judaism, he's talking more about the overall culture among the Jews of his day, and contrasting that a little bit to the original law of God, which, of course, Paul confesses otherwise is good, right? It's, it's the weakness of the flesh that causes it to convict us, right, so greatly, but the law itself is good. So he doesn't want to criticize what God did in the Old Covenant, but he does place criticism here kind of by inference on the entire culture of Judaism in his day. Yeah, and he speaks about the tradition of the fathers. You know, he doesn't speak about Abraham. He doesn't speak about other the patriarchs, which I found interesting as I was studying this. That he he definitely is talking about the traditions. He's not speaking about the lineage. You know, this is who I um, who I came from. But he also talks about persecuting the church. And can you tell us a little bit about that? What what was he doing? Yeah, well, I mean, we get this, you know, uh, especially in Paul's conversion is maybe the best way to kind of reflect back on this, right? That when the Lord tells Ananias, right, that Paul is coming to his house, well, Saul at that point, right, he gets a name change. Uh, Ananias kind of initially responds with, are you sure about this, right? Because we know this man, right? We know what he's doing. Uh, not only is he, you know, zealous for the old traditions of the fathers, but he's sort of zealous for this new tradition of Judaism, which is trying to shut down the Christians. Uh, and he's so zealous that he is literally locking people up. And uh, right, uh, also, you know, we're told he's present when Stephen is stoned. Uh, all these different things that kind of come together to say, when we say zealous here, we're not just talking about a a condition of the mind. We're talking about his activity, right? He is yeah. he is going out trying to literally shut up Christianity using whatever means he has to do, right? And that's that's what he is doing. That's how he's, you know, when he says violently again, not in words, but literally violently, he is persecuting the church. Um, and then Jesus, right, he meets Jesus, and uh, he becomes zealous, but in a much different direction. Absolutely. And this is where uh, I think the word, uh, he's the real deal when it came to Judaism. Like he was not, yeah. he was a rock star in the, Jude, Jude, the Judaism world that uh, in today's language, you would have posters put up about him, that he was the guy that you wanted to be like. He's the guy yep. you wanted to follow because he was following all the rules well. Now, I think there's a certain sense he's also separating himself from the apostles and showing why it only comes from Jesus, this apostleship. Because, um, yeah, you have Matthews, you know, he's not, he, he was a tax collector and, and you have some other issues, but more or less, they were, they were very religious people and faithful people. Well, here's a guy that was really not faithful in many ways. He thought he was faithful, but he was not faithful. That tells you that this apostleship and the calling of our Lord is based on God's grace and grace alone, and that he, he's proving it with these words as well. Any other thoughts yeah, on I those two that, verses? 
No, I think that takes us nicely. Actually, takes us nicely rather into the next two verses, where he's going to reflect a little bit more on that about how uh, you know grace in the sense of how grievous his sin is, and now he's going to kind of say grace in terms of how long God had known this was going to uh, occur. So maybe we move on to the next uh, several verses. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Let's go fifteen through seventeen. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and then returned again to Damascus. All right. So continue on your thought you have there, Pastor. Yeah, so, you know, again, uh, there are a couple different ways you can kind of emphasize how gracious God is. One is by kind of looking at the amount of sin, right, that is forgiven, and that's kind of what he's doing in the, the previous verses. The other is simply to say that this is all God's activity. It's not based on anything I was doing positively, right? The other is kind of a, a removal of the negative, but he also says, I didn't have anything positive to offer in the sense of God just decided this, right? And amazingly here again, before he was even born, uh, some of the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah speak about this also, right? That they were they were called in the womb. Uh, and this seems to be kind of what Paul is saying about himself. And then we get this specific notice, right? He called me by his grace, uh, and he was pleased to reveal, I mean, just, you know, who who here is, uh, you know, is, I think both of us maybe at one point had uh, Professor Nagel who had talked to us about who's running the verbs um, in the sense of, you know, who who's doing the activity? Well, God is. He's doing all of these things. Why? Because he had something for him to do to preach among the Gentiles. Um, but that, the first part of those verses really just speaks about Paul saying, I didn't choose this, right? It wasn't wasn't my plan. No, this was God's plan that then he enacted when he revealed Jesus to me. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, this is a uh, third article of the creed in, in Luther's small catechism, the meaning. It's this kind of stuff that we say, right, that we cannot by our own reason or strength, right, know Jesus Christ as Lord or come to him. This is the kind of thing here that Paul is now stating about himself, that it wasn't something in himself, something good. It wasn't his zeal, you know, that he just talked about that led him to Christ. No, in fact, right, his zeal was leading him away from Christ. But Christ came and revealed himself to him. And so that's all grace. So you I mean that's kind of the first part of that verse. Um, uh, the second part uh, goes on where now he's going to kind of turn and talk about, uh, you know, his actual, where did he go and how does that relate to the charges the false apostles are uh, making against him. But I don't know whether you wanted to add anything else on kind of the grace uh, aspect of these verses. Well, I love how you referenced the third article of the creed, and because it, you know, I believe I can't believe is kind of the the mentality yeah. to it. And I, I heard it in a better sense that it's when when God in Christ grabs a hold of you, He never lets go. You know, yeah. we might let go of Him, but He never lets go of us. And it says, "I believe I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to Him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel and lightened me with His gift." His gifts sanctified and kept me in the one true faith. A reminder, yeah, he said, I didn't choose this. And if you go back to Second Corinthians again, you know, he speaks about being 
uh, flogged five times, rods three times, stoned to the point they thought he was actually dead. He did not choose those things, but he follows the ways and the will of our Lord as he goes through this. So it's amazing to me, as you hear a lot of these things, that he seems to still want to do it. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> because all these things, he realizes where he came from, and he realizes what he has been through. Um, and Dr. Doss, you know, would argue that, you know, the second Corinthians, all that is, is after this letter, but you know that he's gone through things already. And, and, but God had chosen him before he's even born, set apart. That's what we understand who we are as, as God's children, set apart to be redeemed and forgiven in Christ. And he calls us by our name, which I would, I like to say is forgiven is our new name in Christ. Those are my thoughts there. What do you want to move on to from there? Yeah, I guess, you know, uh, I think as we move on, you know, then he has this just where he says he didn't console without anyone. And here he's really responding to this direct charge that he was taught what the apostles taught and kind of left it behind. He says, no, I, I didn't go up there, right? I, and specifically, well, he says he didn't console with anyone, and that might actually refer first and foremost to perhaps the Christian leaders in Damascus and in that region, right? That there were certainly mm -hmm. people that he could have consulted with there as well. And the reason we might think that is because then he seems to distinguish it where he says, nor, you know, did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, and there you have what you were talking about before, you know, that uh, isn't it interesting that he says apostles before me. So he's still calling them apostles, uh, and yet he's making this distinction uh, that, you know, they, they were apostles first, but he is surely an apostle because, again, of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, but then this is where he says this thing, that he went away into Arabia uh, and then returned to Damascus. And so what he really wants to say is that even after he had, I mean, it would be one thing to say, I had this one uh, conversion experience that was quite uh, unique, right, quite uh, astounding. But then I had to kind of go and, you know, through more normal means, uh, figure out what is the fullness of this gospel I've got to proclaim now. And so I'm going to talk to the people, right? Maybe talk to Ananias and, and figure out who can teach me more about this uh, or go on right up to Jerusalem and learn from the apostles, which would be, you know, the best source you could do. But he says he, he didn't need to do that, right? Why? Because again, Christ revealed this to him, again, perhaps even in this time uh, where he's going into Arabia, but he's making this big distinction that he did not uh, get taught this by men, but was given it directly by God. And that's interesting, too. It kind of like to go to Arabia, like you said, that's a long ways away. I mean, this yeah. is, this yeah. is like Tarshish for Jonah, you know, I mean, he goes a long ways away to show that he wasn't just sitting there at the apostles' feet and getting fed lines, that he went across the way and went far, far away. And with the explicit goal, which makes it even more interesting, that he is the the the, the, the Jew of Jews, you know, if you will. He is the teacher of teachers. And, and God chose him, set him apart to preach to Gentiles, people completely different than him, completely, you know, different uh, modes of, of doing everything. And God chose him to go and preach to them as well, which shows you that this gospel is something for all nations, for all people, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And just a reminder for us, too, that don't discount yourself when it comes to 
proclaiming the truth. Um, churches, don't discount yourself to say you only can focus on one demographic. This is the gospel and it's for all people. And how can we proclaim this faithfully? And Paul is showing us once again that um, the word is living and active and it works across nations, across peoples. If you can work through Paul, the word is going to work through you as well. Last thoughts on those verses? Yeah, if anybody should have been against the inclusion of the Gentiles in Christ's kingdom, it would have been <laughs> Paul from his training. And yet, how wondrous, right, that God uses him as the very mechanism through which he's going to, probably probably more than any other person, I mean, who knows? God knows, you know, kind of how that all went down. But as far as we can kind of gather, more than any other person, he is responsible for getting the messages message out to the Gentiles. It's amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. It really is. It really is. Almost as amazing as a guy from Kansas being able to witness in northern Minnesota. I'll say it that way. There you go. Somehow it works. (laughs) Somehow it works. (laughs) All right. Let's continue on. We're in verse 18. We'll go through verse 22. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. So there's a lot of background here. It's an important information, um, but what is he? What is he telling us here? Well, I think the key thing here is that he really is going to some manner of historical detail about his own life in order, again, to make clear that this revelation came to him from Christ directly and not from the apostles. And so, you know, there's kind of this, as you go through these verses, there's this whole list of things that you could kind of say he mentions to sort of make that case. So he says, you know, after three years, right? So he didn't go immediately. Uh, It was only Peter uh, or Cephas, as he calls him, right? But only Peter and James, right? James being the the kind of earliest bishop of Jerusalem, uh, Jesus's brother. Mm -hmm. Um, he says only those two, though, right? I didn't even meet all. I didn't even meet all twelve of them, and probably again because after, you know if he's waiting three years, most of the others have been sent out, right, uh, on various missions uh, and things like that. So they're literally not there, and that's consistent with what we see in Acts. Uh, if your you know readers want to, or listeners want to uh, read a little bit more too, you know, in Acts nine uh, verses twenty six to thirty, we kind of get the Acts, uh, uh, you know rendering of this event when when uh, Paul comes up uh, and talks to Peter. Uh, but, you know, we kind of get that sense that the church there is already, you know, it's moving on in a lot of ways, meaning that it's moving outward. And so, but he says, right, so only after three years, only Peter and James. And then he says, I, and I was only there, right, uh, for uh, 15 days. Uh, and then I left. Right. <laughs> and right. if you have any other question, it was such a brief time that nobody else even knew, a, like, got to know me at all. I wasn't there long enough that anybody would even say, oh, yeah, I know Paul. Right. Yeah. We, we sat down. We talked. We had, you know, broke bread together. Uh, no, the only thing they knew him by was this reputation. Right. That he uh, had persecuted the churches and now uh, was instead preaching the gospel. And so, you know, it, it's really this kind of, uh, this list of things to all just say, I, I wasn't, I didn't go immediately, and I, I only met a couple of them, and I wasn't there long. So there's, it's not even possible 
that I got it from the apostles, right? That, again, we should say that wouldn't have been a terrible thing had God ordained right. that, and right. Paul would have went up and learned the gospel from the apostles and went out and preached. That would have been fine, but Paul is particularly kind of uh, rambunctious on this point because it's simply not how it happened, right? And so he can't lie uh, and say that's how it happened uh, because he has a particular um, you know, experience that he, he needs to give witness to because it ultimately, again, gives glory to Christ. And that is interesting. He does this in the epistles where he kind of stops and says, by the way, this is the truth. <laughs> yeah. Right. And you're like, okay, I'm not quite sure why that's there. It might be rambling, whatever it might be, but it's, it's just a good reminder that he's proving himself and saying, hey, I'm before the Lord. And he talks about this throughout this is, you know, all glory be to God, um, the Father, through Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. You know, this is all glory be to him. I'm proving my apostleship based on Jesus. So before God, I do not tell a lie. And using a little bit of a relationship here that, oh, yeah, you know, I do know Cephas. You know, I'm not a guy who's like gone rogue on my own. Right. And these guys don't want anything to do with me. Um, but he's clearly showing. And this is a, I think this is one of the great insights you have for us today, Pastor, is, is that he's proving that it's the same gospel as these guys. I'm in the same position. We are together 100%. But my revelation came from Christ. Their revelation yep. came from Christ. And all of it comes back to Jesus. And that's important for us in the church to think about as well. Um, and I want, to, I want to, to speak more about that at the end. So let's get to our last two verses. And we, can, we have about five minutes left here, Pastor. And I want to wrap it all together um, in some of your thoughts and some of my own. 23 and 24. And they, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us and now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Yeah. Those are <laughs> very profound words. Kind of like, I knew this guy in high school, and you are doing what now? <laughs> right. Yeah. No, so what, what we got here, Pastor? No, absolutely. I mean, this is uh, – I mean, this – this is kind of you know the shortest auto or biography I guess you would say here you could probably give of Paul and yet it's the most important one right because again it's the reason why God is glorified because it is so unlikely that it ha has to be God who did it, right? This is, uh, to me, the key story of this. Uh, as you know, I've, uh, uh, my oldest son is named Gideon, but, you know, in the, the story of Gideon where the, the number of the army is so limited down and they come with, you know, these uh, pitchers with candles inside of them and, and uh, just these horns, you know, and all this kind of stuff where everything is so weak, he makes everything so weak, that when they win, right, there's no chance anyone can look back and go, oh, yeah, it was those three guys, right? That's, that's why they won. No, they had to know that it was God. And I think this is exactly what is being said of Paul, is that this is such a dramatic transformation that, you know, you almost could like some people will say of some of the miracles when Jesus does them, we've never seen anything like this before, right? As far as mm -hmm. Paul's life, I think they could have testified that was true, right? They had never seen a person so zealous in one direction 
right, who then, right, through one encounter, or again, maybe we say multiple encounters, depending on how those revelations occurred, but, you know, that that through that, he all of a sudden now is 180 degrees the other way, but still full steam ahead, right? It's not even just like, oh, man, I was wrong, and I, you know, I shouldn't do that, and that was bad, and, you know, okay, I get Jesus now. No, but he's just as zealous now uh, for this new message, and again, that transformation, there's only one answer for it. How did it happen? God did it. How did he do it? Through Jesus, right? And that's really the key to, to Paul's understanding of his own life and why he is so you know, staunch on making this point is because he wants them to glorify God uh, based on what happened to him. And it's, it's interesting to think about how patience is needed in these kind of situations. Um, in all situations in ministry, as you raise your kids in the faith, as you speak Christ in the situations that you can in our churches, is because even on Sunday, our text uh, was, was, was Jesus when the unclean spirit, the man possessed by the unclean spirit came into the synagogue in Capernaum. And when he was there, he, he, you know, he tells him, get out and it gets out. And the people are like, what's this? You know, what's going on here? Right. They, they didn't get it. And the, the, unfortunately, the demons understood who Jesus was, but they didn't. And, 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 and here is uh, uh, the people of Galatia who are just struggling to figure out how this all fits. Do I, do I have to get circumcised first before I can kind of enter the kingdom of God? Do I, am I, is it all by Jesus? Is it, you know, only by faith? What, what exactly is it? And Paul is being very patient and teaching as a very zealous person. And so this is good for us to remember in our own lives. Pastor, um, we have about a minute left here. Can you give us a summary or a few words of how you would speak about these verses today? Yeah, in the end, I think we have to remember that the people were trying to claim that Paul had went and talked to the apostles and then had distorted the gospel. So really, the false teachers are trying to say, we're teaching what the apostles taught. And instead, no, Paul says, I'm teaching what Jesus taught me, which also blessedly he taught the apostles. And it is Mm. this, right? If you get into what he really wants to say is that, right, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and on the third day he rose, right? That's what he's going to teach. That's what's been revealed to him. That's what the apostles teach. And that is what glorifies God. Well, thanks be to God for that. Pastor Philip Hoppe of Peace Lutheran Church and St. Paul's Lutheran Church in the great state of Minnesota, concluding chapter one of Galatians. Pastor Hoppe, thank you for being our guest. Great to do it. Saints of our Lord, Paul was called and proved his apostleship was from the Lord Jesus himself. You are called, but you don't have to prove it. The proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the cross. His death, his resurrection for you, called, redeemed, baptized, and saved on account of Jesus. That is who you are. I'm your host, Brady Finner, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands. Music